Hello out there. I don't know what happened to the <laughs> countdown there, but uh, welcome to the GamecocksGroup.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecocksGroup.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan, and if you're watching us on Instagram, I hope you are. <laughs> this is our first time trying to uh, make the StreamYard go live on Instagram, so hopefully it's working uh, if you're watching us there or anywhere else, feel free to comment, uh, and we, I think, will see it, and we can uh, kind of have a, a live discussion with any on anything that you have questions about or comments about or, or whatever. Um, as always, this will be posted on uh, whatever your favorite podcast streaming pat- platform and YouTube is after we're done as well. Um been kind of a crazy week, so uh, it's been, I guess, nine days since our last podcast, uh, which we did last Wednesday. Um, three more ads in the transfer portal since then. Uh, we'll start with uh, Gilbert Edmund. Uh, Does that count welcome. as an ad? Like, that's more like a return. <laughs> welcome back home. An actual I welcome saw... home from Shane Beamer. <laughs> I saw some of the fun graphics that our rivals uh, folks put together and it's not often that you see the Gamecock logo, another logo, and then back to the Gamecock logo. Uh, obviously, Florida State in between there. Um, usually, it's a little bit of a less twisting path than that. But um, if you're South Carolina, I think you, you know, welcome them back with open, ar- open arms. And uh, it's another body in a defensive end room that, you know, obviously has huge upside with someone like Dylan Stewart, but outside of of a true freshman who obviously uh, will need to grow into his frame and grow into his style for, uh, you know, every down sort of role in the SEC. Um, You have a lot of guys with upside, um, but, and, 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 you know, veteran presence, but not necessarily, um, I don't know, a one fits all approach there. Uh, But I think, Edmund fits in pretty well there, and uh, you now have a room that you feel confident about at least shuffling quite a few bodies through. I think that's the main thing here. I think we already know what Edmund brings from a football sense. You saw him in 2022 in this team. Um, helpful body, useful pass rusher. Um, I definitely think more of that like third down, obvious passing situation type than a guy you want in there, you know, on obvious rundowns or even just every snap in general. Uh, but it's a body, it helps for sure. Um, I think welcome to the new era of college football, I guess, as players leaving and coming back is kind of the takeaway there. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we talk roster management um, after we run through a couple more names. But um, with the allowance of uh, multiple transfers, we, even within the course of a year or whatever, I think we'll see maybe even a little bit uh, more of this. For those of you that didn't keep up with Edmund last year, he went to Florida State and didn't really make much of an impact, um, which is maybe a little surprising because he was rated pretty highly coming out of South Carolina. Kind of flashed some potential uh, filling in for Jordan Strayen uh, back in 2022. Um, (laughs) But uh, it seems like didn't really build on any of those flashes last year. Um, So we'll see if, you know, returning back, to South Carolina uh, can get a little bit more uh, juice of that fruit or whatever. Um, also, we finally, I guess since then, we've had two quarterbacks into the roster. Um, one was a walk-on 
but the big news, I think, is uh, Auburn quarterback, or former Auburn quarterback, Bobby Ashford, is officially added in the portal. And, yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think it's about the best-case scenario that could have gotten, um, considering that the whole time we've kind of said that they weren't putting – all their eggs and trying to go find a starting quarterback because they feel like Lenora Sellers can be that guy. Um, but they obviously had a little bit of depth issues and it seems like Ashford kind of fits the best of both worlds in the sense of he could compete for the starting role. Um, they have some similar similarities to Sellers, but um, assuming Sellers does beat him out, he is a quality backup. So I definitely agree with everything you just said there. I think that that kind of we talked a lot over the last, I don't know what, six weeks, seven weeks about how it is a tough needle to thread. You've got to get someone here who can actually play if something happens to the sellers, but someone who actually is willing to come and compete. To me, the interesting thing is more, maybe you have a thought on this, like, all right, let's say this goes the way we think it's going to go. Sellers wins the job. You know, he stays healthy, whatever. Can Robbie Ashford still help you? I beyond just being a guy who can play if Sellers gets hurt. I kind of think yes. And I think you might actually, because they're similar, because they do similar things, you might be able to use Ashford in a kind of the way they used Sellers last year. Some of those like third down packages, some of the zone read stuff, some red zone, obviously garbage time for sure. If it gets to the game, gets to that point. But I, I kind of think you have a, a weapon here who can play, even if Sellers does do what you think he's going to do and win the job. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, those similarities. Uh, we have a full film breakdown of Ashford's game, which obviously we have a lot more college film on him than than Sellers thus far. Um, but Sellers' high school profile was elite arm strength, um, very mobile. Obviously, he's a huge dude. He's 6'3 and squats a million pounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think Ashford projects pretty similarly in the sense of Ashford can make – Pretty much all the NFL throws. Um, he has plenty of arm strength. It's just uh, he's throwing at 100 miles an hour, whether you're five feet away from him or you're 50 yards yeah. on the field. Um, and um, one of the knocks, I guess, on Sellers kind of high school was uh, some problems with accuracy. Now, we didn't see him enough in college action last year, I think, to really make a full determination if that cleaned up or not. Um, I think we think some of it has. Um, but yeah, I mean, really just, I guess what I'm saying is very similar in the sense of big upside for both guys, um, big arms for both guys. And then it's just refinement from there. And I guess whichever of them feels more refined going into 2024, which doesn't even necessarily mean that's the guy for the whole season or, or whatever. I don't know. We have a lot to turn uh, through spring, but whichever feels more refined going into 2024, that's who you're going to roll with. Yeah, I think that's probably about the right way, of, right way of looking at it. You would probably still have sellers with that inside track just because of, A, what he's already shown in a South Carolina uniform, and B, the way they approached the portal, the way they kind of, like we said, maneuvered around a little bit, tried to get the right guy in here, not just um, whoever they could at quarterback. I think that just kind of tell you what they think of sellers, what they think sellers can be. Um, so I would say he's still your favorite for sure as we're – couple months away from spring ball still but Ashford's gonna be here to compete like you know he's not he didn't come here to sit on the bench all year and I think even if he doesn't win the job he's still gonna have a role in helping this team yeah I think that's that's a good way to look at it and regardless you feel much much better about the prospect of uh an injury 
God forbid, or something like that. Then, That's the main. Even like if uh, Lenora Sellers' helmet pops off for a play, he's got to sit out one play. You, you're not going right to Dante Reno in this case anymore. Right. Um, and then the other ad since we last talked is Jamar Bell, uh, who also had an Auburn connection, uh, started his college career there, but then went to Florida Atlantic um, before now rejoining life in the SEC. That one came out of for for me. Um, wasn't on my list of uh, visitors going into the weekend or whatever, but uh, nice ad. We were trying to figure out, is this a preferred walk-on? Is this a scholarship player? Um, I, all indications are, yes, he's going to be a scholarship guy. I think you're probably done uh, with your offensive line depth chart, at least heading into the spring at this point, after adding uh, Simpkins, Bell. There's one other I'm missing. Um, trying to think here. Well, I think Whatever. for what you think of that, well, well, for this, I think for these purposes, you've got a guy who's played a lot of football. I mean, two straight years, every game starter for Florida Atlantic. I know it's lower level. We've had this conversation a lot on the podcast. It's just a guy who has played a lot of football. Parks is the other line I mean, you're thinking of, by the way, the Oklahoma kid. Um, so yeah, you're at what? I mean, what are you at now, line wise, with your three coming in, your three in the portal, you've got. Trey Jones, Ja'Kai Moore, Vershawn Lee, Tyshawn Wanamaker, and Sidney Fugar back. That's 11 right there. Plus Bob Alade, obviously. Bob, yeah, 13. Three guys. Jason Henry. Uh, Anderson. 14. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're, I mean, that's what I just, we just named 15 right there. So I think you feel a lot better about your offensive line depth situation. That's going to be one of the things to watch in the spring, I think, is to trying to figure out, not how it's going to shake out completely between now and September, but how that starts to look. Yeah, no, I agree. And we kind of were mentioning this, but that now puts you at 89 scholarship players at oh. the spring. Um, obviously, that number has to get down to 85 by August or so. Um, but as people around <laughs> have told you for years, really, uh, when people oversign recruiting classes and now in the portal, the numbers always work out. Um, <laughs> something will... Uh, change between now and probably summer camp we just mentioned the uh, two-time movement rule it honestly wouldn't even surprise me if some of the guys that signed uh, in this portal period are back in the portal by spring just depending on how spring practice goes and how the depth chart depth chart starts to shake out um it's a good problem to have at the moment uh where you can kind of see where the chips uh fall in live action in the spring and then maybe encourage some guys uh, to seek more playing time opportunities elsewhere. Uh, if it seems like they're not projecting to land on a star South Carolina roster. Yeah. Um, we don't have a date yet for the spring game, but I think based on some indicators, it's going to be April 20th. Um, that's a Saturday, obviously. And then the portal's open until April 30th. So I have a week and a half there after the end of spring ball for players to get back in the portal. Yeah, and I guess if we're just like thinking about the class in general, which I'm asking this off the top of our head, we don't have the full thing written out in front of us right now. But I guess uh, who are a couple of your biggest ads from this period? Because we think it's pretty much over, at least at this point. And then I guess if some shuffling does happen in the spring, what would you still like to see another ad uh, potentially or two in the spring? 
Um, it's a cop-out answer, but I think the biggest ad has got to be Rocket, right? Um, that's just an, it's an all-SEC running back. It changes the way you look at the offense, changes how you feel about the running back room. Um, in the interest of offering a different answer than just Rocket, because I think that would probably be most fans' answers, um, uh, I'm going to say maybe Kennard from Georgia Tech. Kyle Kennard, the defensive end, add some pass rush, um, some power fight experience there. It was? Okay, well. Oh, yeah, that's um, perfect. That's kind of those would be the two I would say, but um, and Ashford too, just from a body's perspective, we've talked about how much you needed a quarterback. Yeah, I think that that's just important from uh, like hedging perspective as well. Um, if Norris goes down, you're not necessarily done with your season uh, in the same way that you would have been. Uh, no offense to Dante, I think he has potential to be very good. I just think it's tough for a true freshman to come in and, and make an impact in that way. Um, I guess if I have an honorable mention, the guys we just mentioned, although I think Kennard's probably my number one, um, Edmund, similarly, uh, yeah. nice ad too, but, um, Gage Larvadane, I think is probably my favorite wide receiver ad. Um, but that also brings to the next point. I still think if you could get a true alpha sort of guy to show up in the spring, um, you would find a way to make room for him. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily an option. And I think your wide receiver room is okay in the sense of there's a lot of depth, a lot of veteran uh, depth at this point. Um, and a lot of guys that you can maybe piece it together with like a 300 yard season, a 400 yard season. And if right. you know four or five of those guys, then fine, your passing game is going to be all right. I just don't know that you're going to have anyone pushing a thousand like you had this past year. Uh, I would say, too, if you're talking about what could you add, um, I think a veteran corner would go a long way. Just right now, I think you feel okay about your room. You've got Odie Fortune, Judge Collier, Emery Floyd, Vakari Swain, Zabari Sandy, and I guess Jalua Sullivan coming in as a true freshman. And they added the the preferred walk-on pit, too. Yep. Um, I, uh, I, I still think if you can get a guy with some experience in there, someone who can – either even just help your young corners, but also rotate in and take some snaps. Um, you are you talking about positions, right? Where like an injury really hurts you. That's why we were on quarterback so much, obviously. Um, I think you feel better at wide receiver now that if you lose one from that group, it's not going to necessarily sink you the way it would have if Leggett went down last year. Line death, talked about that, both sides. If you lost an OD fortune or a judge call your next year, and I think your cornerback room does start to actually look kind of thin. And if you lost, if you had a, a domino effect there, like he had a, maybe an O line last year. You could probably do it with another corner who's played some college football. Yeah, granted, we have seen DB in particular. Uh, they've hit on a lot of freshmen yeah. that can make a, an immediate impact. Um, I think Jalua Solomon is one of those guys that could make an immediate impact. Um, but I don't disagree that it, it wouldn't be a bad thing to have a little more veteran presence there. Um, Speaking of, I guess, coaching and uh, a couple more football notes, uh, since we last spoke, uh, South Carolina picked up a running back coach, uh, which will be made official here in a couple hours. Uh, that's Markwell Blackwell. Um, we'll learn a little bit more about his contract after the Board of Trustees meeting, what, in like two hours? Um, no, like half an hour. Uh, yeah. But um, what is your takeaway I guess, from that ad? Um, everything I've heard has been pretty positive. And, and again, this is kind of something we said with the Coley thing. Um, proven recruiter with uh, some maybe new areas for South Carolina to kind of break into. 
that they haven't been so successful in in the last few years? Uh, the proven recruiter thing for sure. And then I think the other takeaway, again, you're starting to see like a, a path or a plan for Shane Beamer here in terms of how he's building out his staff. Another guy who has been at multiple SEC schools in his past, um, Blackwell was at AM last year. He spent a year on Jimbo staff. Before that, he was at Ole Miss, Coach Keyshawn Judkins um, in his, I think, 1,600-yard freshman season in 22. So you're seeing a guy who's been all over the SEC and all over that footprint from recruiting and also just knows what it takes to coach in this league. I think that's been a, a clear kind of track for Shane Beamer when you look at his assistant hires in the past, even going back to Jody Wright, who's gone now at Murray State, but he was an SEC guy when they hired him. Dowell Loggins, obviously, then in Arkansas. I think that's a very clear focus for Beamer, and you're seeing it with everything he's trying to build with the staff. Yeah, and when you look at Blackwell's recruiting record at Ole Miss, um, some of his most successful recruits were he pulled a couple four-stars out of Florida and Texas, which obviously are hotbeds. And I think most SEC schools now that uh, Texas and Oklahoma are joining the conference are trying to expand a little bit west and see if they can't uh, make a little bit of an impact in those uh, regions now that you can say, hey, you, you'll get to play you know, in your home club once or twice while you're here. Um, so, yeah, I think Saviad um, and between William Blackwell, I'm really excited to see how that uh, has an impact on recruiting um, and also on the immediate um, – field because he's obviously got some uh, blackwell in particular obviously has some really great uh specimens to work with uh this coming year um the only other i guess note that uh i don't think that we mentioned on the podcast was that uh it by all indications justin step is over because when we we talked about uh coley coming in we we're like is he gonna coach that ends uh coley's gonna coach wide receivers and then uh step for now is moving over to tight end. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, we may find out a little bit more uh, into this uh, BOT meeting, but probably not. Um, so Shane Bieber does talk what... today at, I think, 4 o'clock. So maybe okay. we want some more on that. Yeah, um, and speaking of, I guess, Beamer and the newcomers, um, tomorrow's uh, basketball Next game. Saturday. Oh, sorry. Next Saturday's basketball game against Missouri at home. Uh, there'll be like a halftime recognition of uh, the newcomers. And, and it's going to take up like stuff. half the court. You have that many portals and freshmen. <laughs> yeah. So I'm. Let me look at where it actually has uh, landed right now. But South Carolina added twenty total in the portal this year. Um, at least so far, and uh, they're definitely in the top 10 in the uh, Rivals team rankings. Let me see if I can get that number. While I'm pulling that up, the only other recruiting note I have for you right now is the junior days the next two weekends. Um, I will have the full visitors list on those in the weekly recruiting wrap-up, which should be posted later today or first thing tomorrow on GameCockScoop.com. But the, the, I guess the highlight for tomorrow, for this weekend is Safiana's top quarterback uh, prospect in the 2025 class is Ryan Montgomery out of Finley, Ohio. We've talked about him several times on the podcast already, um, but he is expected in town. I know that uh, Beamer and Loggins went to visit him at his school, watched him play some basketball uh, last week weekend as well. 
Um, the the team portal rankings now that I've pulled up, South Carolina is currently at seven in the rivals team portal rankings with twenty total commits and a two point seven five star average. That could fluctuate a little bit. Um, some of the more unknowns uh, don't have the full ranking breakdown. Now it looks like about sixteen of the twenty uh, have a full ranking right now. But um, good company. I mean, you look at uh, who's ahead of them. You got AM Colorado. Ole Miss. I mean, the you know, the who's who of who has done pretty well in the portal uh, up to this point, though. Um, can't complain about the the hall this year. I don't think. No, that's I think that's pretty, we've talked about it extensively over the last month, month and a half. But you supplemented your roster. You got the needs in, and now I think it just becomes about what can you actually do in an off season in a spring ball over a summer and actually try to turn this around like in a football sense everybody portals that's i think that's kind of reality i mean you're not the only team who's going to look at their portal class and feel pretty good about it especially not in the sec so now that just kind of becomes that next step about what you can actually do with it well and i think to see if this is an actual um strategy going forward because we talked about how they kind of shifted their 2024 strategy uh from an nil and you know, whatever promises uh, you can or cannot make um, perspective to not over promise um, incoming 2024 freshmen that were kind of on that borderline, but maybe save some of that uh, for the poor. It seems like it worked, at least in terms of numbers and, and some of the names that we've mentioned throughout the past few weeks. Now let's see if it works on the field. That's I mean, that's pretty much a bet where you got to leave it right now on January nineteenth. Like I said, we'll uh, we'll hear from Shane Beamer a little bit later today for the first time I think since signing day um, about the two new assistant hires and I'm sure some other stuff we mentioned too. So keep it on Gamecock Scoop for that. Yeah, we'll have live updates on that and then anything uh, relevant in the uh, the aftermath. Um, let's kind of switch gears here to basketball. So since we last talked. Um, we kind of were breaking down the stretch for the men's team um, and how difficult it was, but you know, maybe you you pull off a, a road win between either Alabama or Mizzou, um, and then have um, some opportunities at home, like against Georgia, blah, blah, blah. Well, we kind of know how some of that has played out. Um, you had your worst loss of the season at Alabama. Um, oh, I think we talked a little bit about that last week. Yeah. You kind of shake that off. You're like, yeah. You kind of shake that off. Like, okay, (laughs) obviously went cold, bad showing, but um, still some opportunities ahead of you. And then you took advantage of one of those opportunities against Missouri um, at Missouri. That's a tough place to win. Um, You pull off a last second game winner from Kobe right in overtime. Um, Yeah. Really solid game, but and then you have a huge opportunity at home against Georgia uh, this past week on what was that Tuesday night um, and really just can't get over the hill. I mean, you have every yeah. opportunity in the world. You shoot what, like 50% from three to their line. If that. Uh, yeah. Something like that. I think it was like 16 for 32 or 17 for 32. It was way too many missed free throws to win a home game against a decent enough conference opponent. Right, and the final margin is 74-69, I believe. So five points, if you do just a little better in free throw percentage, shoot, I don't know, 70%, which uh, when you look at their season average, they were up near 80. Um, Just a completely 
off night there. Uh, went through some more cold stretches that seemed a little reminiscent of uh, that Alabama game. Of course, Georgia didn't quite have the same amount of firepower on the other side. Um, and really, that felt like a loss that at the season when you're on bubble watch and you're looking back, that one might uh, hurt a little bit. Yeah, uh, there's no way around it. That's Lamont said they didn't play well enough to win, and I would I would agree with that in general. But also, you were up nine with I think 11 minutes to go, 10 minutes to go, something like that. And you mentioned the free throws. I like, can't shake. Josh Gray missed five in a row in about a minute and a half in the middle of that half, and he played pretty well before that. He hit two big free throws against Missouri as well in that overtime win down the stretch. But that just sinks the game and got Georgia back in it and. I think that we haven't even mentioned it yet, but Miles Studi got hurt on Tuesday. That's the biggest thing. He, uh, I don't even, did you see it live? Like it was the other end of the court where the media is at CLA. I saw him go down and he was holding his shoulder. And I think it was RJ Melendez for Georgia got hit with a flagrant foul on that play. Did you actually get a good look at what happened there? Yeah, they showed a few uh, replays. And, and the reason it was called a flagrant was it was like an arm hook. So it was coming okay. out of a, a free throw. And they went to tie up to kind of like try to box each other out. And um, Studi's arm got kind of caught uh, in the hook of Melendez's arm. And then Melendez just kind of like rolled it over. Um, I don't think it was overly intentional. Um, but the result was, I, I don't know what the, did they give an official thing or did they just say shoulder injury? To me, it looked like he might have dislocated it. Uh, it, said, it definitely didn't look like it, it felt very good. <laughs> No, he was in a lot of pain. Obviously, he didn't return on the game. Could have used another shooter down the stretch in a close game there. They said left shoulder strain out two to three weeks, which actually isn't as bad as it looked originally. But then you look at the schedule and you see, all right, you're going to Arkansas tomorrow. Kentucky comes Tuesday. Then it's the Mizzou rematch. Then you go to Tennessee. Then you go to Georgia in the next few weeks. And it's like that's probably the worst time possible you could have lost a starter for two weeks, three weeks. Yeah, we did talk about how the the schedule softens up a little bit late, and you know maybe he'll back for that, and then you can string together uh, some wins to make a late push. But uh, this next, yeah, like four or five games seems like uh, one and four could be on the table, sort of thing. Yeah, um, and of course that would kill a lot of the the momentum that you had heading into the conference schedule, and that you felt uh, after a two and one start uh, that, you know, we could as soon as tomorrow start to feel like the, the wheels are coming off on, on the flip. I don't think that Arkansas is an unbeatable opponent. No, I don't either. Um, if you can get your uh, three point shooting back underneath you, which is something that they've struggled with a bit since conference play started, they excel that through non-conference play. Yeah. If you're a subscriber, um, I wrote about that after the game Tuesday, some numbers in there on that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think you could also come three and two out of this, right? If if everything goes uh, perfectly, but obviously not having um, that extra weapon of studio, you know, was usually good for two or three um, three pointers a game or or around that. Uh, definitely definitely hurts, and you're going to have some guys step up. Um, speaking of guys stepping up, I do feel like we've seen the emergence more and more of Colin Murray Boyles, yes. who had a really nice game in that loss against Georgia. I believe he had the first five or seven points at the half for South Carolina mm -hmm. um, was making an impact on both ends of the floor, had a few blocks, had some deals. Um, I've talked before about how, just how quick his hands are. Um, 
I so I, I really think that he's starting to emerge as as someone that they're going to be able to count on down the stretch. And I, that is a that's a hit, right? That was a that was a three yeah. star. I, I think by the end he was rated a four star by those. Um, by the time that class, the final ranking of that class came together, but that's someone Paris and company kind of uh, identified early uh, was a hidden gem, I suppose. Yeah, I think the other thing too, when you watch Colin Murray Boyles, is just the lack of fear. You know, maybe he's a freshman, he doesn't know any better, whatever. But Georgia, you know, Russell Tachua, he's I think that's how you say his name, seven footer. He's one of the better big men in the SEC. He was killing South Carolina for most of that first half. Murray Boyle's backing down a couple times. Got a couple buckets on him. I remember one trip, he just straight up posted him up and drew a foul like early in the second half. Um, yeah, yeah, he's not afraid he of anybody. Did the same. He did the same against uh, Georgia's 6'10 guy as well. And, mm-hmm. and keep in mind, Murray Boyle's is like 6'7-ish, um, which is obviously still pretty good size. But <laughs> compared, compared to a seven-footer, I mean, you know, he had five inches on him. So, uh, no, I was really impressed with that too. Also, uh, how do you say to Chihuahua? Chihuahua, I think. Chihuahua. Um, he's uh, not just seven foot, but he's like a beast. He's like six foot, yeah. 300 all muscle or something. It's uh, an impressive looking guy. Um, so anyway, looking forward with men's basketball. Um, I think if you can win two of the next five, go two and three in the next five. Yeah, that'll get you to the halfway like, point of SEC play in the next five. Yeah. You'd and you four have four and five uh, at the turn. Ivy tough game against Tennessee and Kentucky in that stretch, which you would probably pencil down as losses. But I do think you could win two, three when we're talking Arkansas, Missouri, and Georgia. Um, so if you if you can do that, then I think you would do set up a stretch run at the end where you're still in pretty good position. Uh, hopefully you have no more injuries. You get Studi back and uh, things get interesting from there. I think that's kind of the way you got to look at it. Like I said, the, those next five games take you to the halfway point of SEC play. That's, again, that's at Arkansas versus Kentucky versus Mizzou, at Tennessee, at Georgia. Um, go two and three, get to four and five at the halfway point, and you still feel like you're in with a chance. Yeah, and, and to me, I guess the losses in this stretch, I, I don't know. Are you hitting the panic button yet, I guess, is is my question. To me, not, um, it was always going to be tough to maintain uh, the sort of streak, streaky shooting um, that carried them through a lot of the non-con that carried them against Mississippi State. Um, and now that it's kind of settled into something, I don't think different, I guess, uh, they're, they're having to find other ways to kind of manufacture scoring. Um it's kind of worked out for them. If they hit their free throws the other night, I think they come out of a stretch, you know, two and one. Uh, obviously, a really, really, really poor game offensively against Alabama, but you feel kind of okay about how Mizzou and Georgia. Um, and then if you can somehow turn on, I guess, some of that uh, streaky three-point shooting that was working before, then I still think you can compete with anyone. Uh, I mean, do you think that that's an unreasonable thing to ask that they do turn that back on or – yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just a I, style now, I go or? both ways on it. Like, I don't think they're a, I think they're a 26% in SEC play. I don't think they're that bad, but I also think losing Studi hurts. That's one of your better shooters. He was one of the ones who still right. was shooting in league play. Like, that's going to give you a hit or it's going to make you take a hit. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not ready to say the wheels are falling off, but I could see a way they will quickly, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think that's fair. We're going to learn a lot about the resilience uh, and mental fortitude of this team. We did see 
in that Georgia game down the stretch, a couple of big time mentors um, as uh, we were getting to like the climactic point of that game. Now I do think the, the, the refereeing blame uh, to take there uh, some weird calls, but at the end of the day, whatever they, they went against you and um, just some kind of bad fouls uh, down the stretch that, that turned what should have been, I guess, a potential buzzer beater at a game into one that didn't really have a shot in the last minute. Yeah. That's pretty much about where you leave it. Women's only played once since we talked, they beat one of the worst teams in the SEC by 62, not a whole lot to say about that game. Actually, yeah, they didn't dumb. make it. <laughs> they didn't make it to a hundred. They only made it to ninety-eight. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. The uh, Ashton Watkins dunk. Again. If you if, if you haven't checked that out, uh, go find that on Twitter, or YouTube, or whatever. It's uh, pretty impressive and made the you know, Sports Center top ten. Everything rad. Sorry, what were you gonna say? No, I think they might have. We'll see. Maybe turned a corner a little bit. We talked a little bit about some of the maybe a bit of a lull they hit early in SEC play. Looking a little bit sharper on both ends. Defense looks a little more connected. I think you're seeing a little more from like Tessa Johnson's playing really well as a true freshman. Her minutes have gone up pretty much every game in conference play. Um, obviously, Ashton Watkins, we mentioned the dunk, but she's playing really well at both ends too. Um, you do have AM Sunday. That's not going to be easy on the road, but I think right now you're looking at Thursday, you're going to Baton Rouge. That's kind of where we're going to see where this team is in six days. Yeah, I actually think that AM is a nice ramp up to that um yeah they're significantly better than the kentucky team you just celebrated um it's a road matchup um in a decent environment um so i think that that'll be a good test of uh how some of that um turning the corner that you described it as uh translates and then yeah big one come up after that or we're we're hoping that uh you're gonna be able to make it down in person for that right that is the plan right now. Um, if anybody's got any Baton Rouge wrecks, I don't know. <laughs> Hit me up. You know where to find me. Uh, my Baton Rouge wreck is uh, keep going to new ones. That's my. <laughs> I, 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 that's not fair to Baton Rouge. I haven't really ever been to Baton Rouge, but New Orleans is very cool. Yeah, it was uh, weird. Um, it's like I think football hasn't played there since like 09 or something. Yeah, that no, was it's a been tough... since then. But or like no, uh, LSU hasn't been to Willie B since '09. That's what the other way around. Yeah, because uh, they were the supposed game. to, and then there was yeah. a hurricane. Exactly. Um, but yeah, South Carolina went there. What 2012, and then yeah, whatever that hurricane year was. But they went there uh, as scheduled in 2012. Anyway, big game in Baton Rouge for a South Carolina team, which doesn't happen that much. Top ten matchup, league standings on the line. College game day is going to be there. It's their first road show of the year for, I think, men's or women's, but definitely for women's at least that Thursday night. I think someone told me they're expecting the largest non-football crowd ever for a sporting event at LSU, which we think of how big baseball is there. That's a big, big deal. Um, it's going to be insane. Yeah, I'm uh, really looking forward to it. We'll have plenty of coverage in the lead up to that and uh, obviously everything that happens in between um tomorrow i'll be around on gamecocks.com to talk the south carolina versus arkansas basketball game uh alan has what is it sunday for texas a&m mm-hmm. and uh speaking of baseball any sort of i guess off-season notes or anything lately 
Um, nothing new right now. They're doing their preseason media day with Kingston and players, I think Wednesday. Uh, and they were, I think they start like their camp next week. So we're ramping up to that in about three, four weeks too. Yes. We're about to get to the point where, uh, what is it? Uh, March that is the month where there's like 40 things on the, the schedule yeah. for just the month. It's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, in the meantime, uh, like I said, we'll have live threads for all the live events coming up in the next few days. And I will have a full weekly recruiting wrap up uh, for those of you that are keeping up with the 2025 class, which every time that year ticks up, I, I know right? feel a little bit older. Um, and we also uh, have some content uh, this morning on a couple of offers to 2026 kids. Um, so if you want to look even further, we, we got that too. Um, anyway, uh, we'll be back next week with the GameCocksGroup.com podcast. Until then, we'll see you.